It's Tuesday the 12th of Feb and in just a few hours the beehive will be buzzing again. Parliament, that is. After the drama of Waitangi weekend, MPs are back in Wellington and back in the House today with the coalition government under the pump to get their 100-day plan all wrapped up. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Aaron and this is what's worth talking about. A law change across the ditch will allow workers to ignore work calls out of hours. They will officially have the right to disconnect. Donald Trump has again made headlines after a recent rally speech. Why one expert is warning his explosive comments are more than just a joke. El Nino is hitting cocoa crops and causing prices to soar, so could your chalky bar be next? And the secret telltale sign to finding out who the bad egg is on your favourite whodunit crime show. All that coming up in a moment here on Usable. Usable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. You know that dilemma. You can see a message or an email from work, but you're at home. You're not working. But should you look? Just in case... Well, a bill designed to deal with that work creep is set to become law across the ditch, and it means employees have the right to completely disconnect from their workplaces once they clock off for the day. Staff members in Australia will effectively be able to ignore their work calls or emails after hours, because, as we all know, smartphones have made it far easier for us to get in touch with one another, including bosses or managers and workers. The brains behind the Aussie bill is Green Party Senator Barbara Pocock and she's here with us now to chat. Barbara, was there something specific that inspired you to set this up? Were you yourself contacted at a ridiculous hour by your Green Party leader Adam Bant, for example? Um, well, my problems go back a lot further than Adam Bant. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a mother, I'm now a grandmother and you know, for 40 years I've been involved in looking at uh, working life and how it is changing and how uh, many women and carers increasingly in our labour force uh, and other workers have lost control over the boundary around their jobs. And I have personally certainly felt that that guilt and that torn feeling you have when you have a four-year-old looking for a swing and you've got the boss on the phone wanting some help with something. So it's something that affects many of us and I've certainly felt those feelings. Why do you think this is something that Australia needed to put into law? Well, when I arrived in the parliament just over 18 months ago, I was immediately uh, put in charge as chair of a Senate committee inquiry into work and care, which I proposed. I feel that Australian labour law, like many countries, probably including New Zealand, has not really kept up with the changing nature of work. And so we went around the country talking to all kinds of employers, employees, communities, uh, people with caring responsibilities, workers in different kinds of jobs, And we came back with a set of recommendations to help our country keep up. So we looked at, for example, reducing the length of the working week. We looked at the cost of childcare. But this right to disconnect really stood out. Over five hours of unpaid working time per week on average from Australian workers donated to their workplace. That's a lot of time on the end of the phone or looking at your email outside paid working time. So we've gone for this very reasonable new right, which we hope will make a real difference. So there has been some opposition to this. The Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry Chief has been quoted as calling the law ridiculous and a triumph of stupidity over common sense. There's certainly been quite a lively um, discussion from the employer corner 
And, you know, I've been around long enough. I've watched a lot of industrial relations change over recent decades. Employers always dislike an increase in workers' rights. And especially when it challenges managerial prerogative. Um, we have industrial law, which technically, you know, you should get some protection from working unpaid working time. But we have many, many millions of dollars in wage theft um, and theft of people's time. So it clearly is a moment. And employers' reaction tells us, I think, that it is important, it matters. And we have, I can get a conversation in any coffee shop in Canberra or Adelaide where I live about this issue. Workers get it. They want their time. They're not frightened to take an emergency call. They know that this is a crisis. They need to respond. This is about a reasonable right, a discussion in the workplace, which that's where it begins. That's where many of us already settle these issues. But when an employer is unreasonable and rings a nurse, say on a Sunday, seven times in a row, about a problem, that worker turns up to the ward the next day already worried and having not had a proper rest. And we need some protection against that kind of unreasonable interference in people's lives. Green Party Senator Barbara Pocock, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much. And best of luck to New Zealand to get the same right. Hey, Chris. Yes. Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on, then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires, go the Black Caps, and don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they're pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? Yeah, what? They don't regulate sock height. I'm sorry? There's a sport that regulates sock height? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. We're still going to talk about the price of chocolate, surely something that affects us all, no matter what your favourite type is. But if you want to be all up to date with all the delicious newsable stories, you can find us on TikTok or Insta, search for NZ Stuff, or you can send us an email, newsable at stuff.co.nz. Donald Trump has often been rankled by well-established arrangements that other presidents have been happy to support. For instance, when he was in power as president, he seemed less than impressed with the NATO security arrangement, that means the US, or any other member of the North Atlantic Treaty Organisation, would come to each other's aid in the face of aggression. It is a unified stand that provides protection, certainly to a good number of nations. But Trump's recent rally speech where he said he would encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever it wants with European nations that aren't paying their bills has been seen by many as a threat to that unity. And to unpick the implication of this speech, we're joined by Robert Patman, a professor in international relations at Otago University. Kia ora. Kia ora, Aaron. Robert, how serious are comments like this from Donald Trump, even if he might have intended them as a bit of a joke? Well, he may have intended them to be flippant, And indeed, a number of senior Republican people have suggested that, that we should allow for the context in which he's speaking, which is that he's engaged in a contest for the Republican nomination. But I think these are dangerous comments and they show a degree of irresponsibility. It should be pointed out that Mr Trump is basically saying that in his judgment, if any member of NATO is not reaching the 2% Uh, level of GDP of their defence expenditure, 
then they should not expect to be defended if attacked, if Mr. Trump's in the White House. And that seems to misunderstand the whole role of NATO. It's based in a security alliance. It's not, you know, play as you pay. Uh, it's quite a different organisation altogether. It does raise a big question mark about America's commitments to its allies. This affects not just Europe, but the world, including, for example, an alliance arrangement or a, a security cooperation arrangement, which the current New Zealand government's considering, which is AUKUS. If Mr. Trump is saying that America may not honour its alliance commitments, except on financial grounds, then that may give governments like our own serious pause for thought whether they want to be part of such a grouping. Well, like you say, New Zealand is currently considering getting involved with those non-nuclear parts of the AUKUS arrangement between Australia, UK and the US. Should there be worries about greater connections with the US at a time when it's possible Donald Trump may once again be in power? Well, I I think, how should I put it, um, most Western decision makers are quite comfortable with the Biden administration. They may disagree with it. They may disagree for example, of its policy towards Gaza at the moment, and its deep disagreement in some cases. I think Mr. Trump has reinforced fears that his key sympathies are for authoritarian regimes. He recently said in an extraordinary speech that Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un are all very fine people. These are dictators. In some of the, At least one of them has blood on their hands. And for a democratic leader to praise authoritarian regimes who actually oppose the very freedoms which Mr. Trump uses while in opposition in the United States, he wouldn't be free to speak out in Russia, for example. His comments certainly hasn't boosted international confidence in American leadership and could embolden countries like Russia to, particularly if they succeed in Ukraine, to expand their objectives in Europe. If Donald Trump were to become president again, what do you think the implications for that are? I think many countries would reassess their links with the United States. Let's take Australia. Australia is already very nervous about being part of an AUKUS which would be led by Mr Trump, particularly when they'd be expending something like between $268 billion and $368 billion on nuclear power submarines from the United States. So there's already pushback to the idea of AUKUS in Australia. That sort of concern would deepen with Mr Trump's leadership. What is Mr Trump's vision? It's a sort of dog-eat-dog vision where the rule of international law is compromised by power. This would be, of course, bad news for a middle power like Australia and a relatively small power like New Zealand, which critically depend not on power but on rules and law. Mr Trump would be effectively a direct challenge to everything New Zealand stands for in the world. Robert Patman from Otago University, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Hey, we're still going to talk about how you can spot the villain in a TV show or movie. And quick tease here, it might involve product placement. But if you don't want to miss out on great tales like these, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It'll help other people find us. 
There's one little ingredient that will always put a smile on someone's face. No matter what age, no matter what occasion, chocolate soothes the soul. But what won't soothe the soul is the news that cocoa, a pretty key part of the chocolate-making process, is skyrocketing in price. So what's going on? Well, producer Philippa is here to explain all. Why is the price of cocoa surging? Well, we can blame it all on El Nino. The weather pattern has meant dry weather in West Africa, and that is the area where most of the world's cocoa is grown. Just four nations in this region, Ivory Coast, Ghana, Cameroon and Nigeria, produce 70% of the world's cocoa supply. So what happens in West Africa is pretty important when it comes to chocolate. How high then are prices actually getting? Cocoa prices on the New York commodities market reached nine and a half thousand New Zealand dollars a ton last week, an all-time high. And brace yourself, that's roughly double compared to the start of last year. Jeez, I'm thinking about my own chocolate consumption, and uh, that does not sound good, Philippa. Am I going to be paying more for that essential afternoon treat? Ooh, it's looking a bit likely. Uh, The consumer organisation in the UK reported that the Christmas just passed, Chockey's bounced up 50% in price and Hershey's, that really big American manufacturer, one of the world's biggest chocolate makers, has already warned that historic cocoa prices are expected to limit earnings growth this year. And New Zealand chocolate manufacturers were forced to put up prices last year due to increasing costs. So you might have to ensure you really enjoy every little bit of that delicious indulgence, which for you, Aaron, would be... Absolutely milk chocolate. Uh, So bearing that in mind, and this might be a contentious question, but what's your favourite? Well, it is a bit contentious. I'm not in your camp, I have to say. (laughs) I'm super cocoa-filled dark chocolate. But with the prices going up. I might have to reconsider that. Definitely, definitely a contentious one, that type of chocolate. Uh, Producer Philippa, thanks so much for joining me in the studio. Now, surely part of the enjoyment of binging on a whodunit series is not knowing who did it. But now a film director has let, well, at least one cat out of the bag. Rianne Johnson, the director of Murder Mystery Knives Out, told the Daily Mail that some products have a so-called villain clause. So Apple doesn't want its iPhones being used by the baddie, so that means the eagle-eyed can see all the characters, bar one, using, you guessed it, iPhones. Not the biggest giveaway, but if you're a follower of detail, you might be able to pick who's to blame pretty early on. And on that note, I'm off to burnish some true crime and test that theory. That's Musable for today. I'm Aaron Diamond. We'll catch you tomorrow. Was this episode of Newsable usable? Then back NZ News by making a financial contribution at stuff.co.nz support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, 
Subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.